I want to um, introduce you to a couple folks. Some of you know them already. Maybe some of you um, haven't met them yet. But it's funny, we use the word church to describe a building. Where do you go to church? Well, we've been through this. A church is not a building. A building is just where the church meets. So the church is now in the building. But this particular church, every church has a, has a particular DNA. And this particular church was born in New Jersey, and you can read about it as you um, come to our membership classes. But we are privileged to have, I believe, the first official pastor of this church who pastored here for 25 years. I was reminded of something this morning. John the Baptist once, uh, well, actually, Jesus, when, when he was seeing many people come to Christ, he told his disciples, others have labored you are entering into their labor. I texted with someone from Maine this morning who's not a believer. I said, the next time I'm up there preaching, I'm going to invite you to church. I said, I hope that's not too pushy. I said, but I know you know this one Christian that's up there. And he said, well, actually, there's another Christian up there who's been talking to me about it. And I said, well, I hope you weren't offended that I invited you to church. He said, no, no, the world really needs grace. And so I called that guy this morning and literally he said, I've been talking to that guy forever and I felt like I, he wasn't listening to a single word I said. So Tammy in the background said, don't let him steal your fruit, Kevin. Don't let him steal your fruit. <laughs> and Kevin said, I could care less. Let's bring that guy to Jesus. And so the point is, this is an ongoing process. Jesus is building his church. He's making disciples. But the Bible says we should give honor to those to whom honor is due. And so I'd like to invite you uh, to give honor to a dear brother who labored here for 25 years. He doesn't know this, and I'm sure he would say, will you please stop talking? But Jay, would you mind standing? This is Jay Button. Jay, please stand. And Jay's wife. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I didn't even see your wife with you. Um, because they're accompanying a set of missionaries that some of you may know. Keith and Karen Moulton are here with us. They minister in France, and they're going to be with us, I believe, for this entire week. So if you have something that you would like to have them come to your small group or you just want to meet with them, uh, this is what we do. We, we are just part of the family of God, ministering the gospel all over the world. And so I'm going to ask now if Keith and Karen would stand, but before they do, they're going to be in the back afterward, and they would love to meet you. They would love to tell you more about their ministry. Um, they would love to equip you and invite you or be a part. That's what they're here for, to share their life. So be praying for them, bless them, and be sure to greet them in the name of the Lord. So Keith and Karen, would you guys stand as well? You might even want to just touch them. You, then you say, I know what missionaries feel like. There's like a, <laughs> I touched one once. All right. This morning, we're going to have a little time in God's word. If you're new with us, we always try to read from the Bible because we believe the Bible is the word of God. And I can't tell you, I've been preaching the Bible for 30 years, how many times I've had people say, I've been going to church all my life and I learned more in one day here than I did in all my life. And it's not because this is some special supernatural thing. It's because there are too many churches that don't s preach from the Bible anymore. Someone just told me that started coming here. I'm tired of hearing stories. I want to hear the Bible. And so all of you young men and pastors, we're all encouraged. Just read the Bible. You don't have to light yourself on fire. Jesus 
said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. God's people want to hear the Bible. If you don't want to hear the Bible, Jesus said, you're not my sheep. But you can become his sheep if you want to. And there are some things in the Bible that are comforting, but there are other things that are convicting. But the people of God need all of it. That's why Paul told Timothy, preach the word, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience. For the time will come when they will not endure sound teaching from the Bible, but they will accumulate teachers after their own desires who will tickle their ears. I was talking to a friend last night who has pastored a church in Houston right next to, to um, help me, big, Joel Osteen. He says, I can't tell you how many people I led to Christ who ended up over at Joel Osteen's. And, I, and I'm not embarrassed to mention his name because the Bible calls out people who aren't preaching the gospel. Joel Osteen's not preaching the gospel. He's not calling sinners to repent. He's not pointing to the precious blood of Christ and saying he's the way, the truth, and the life. And I know that for a fact. I've heard him speak, and I've heard him, when asked, is Jesus the only way? He say, oh, that's, I don't know. But he's giving a positive, encouraging message. Ooh, this makes me feel better about myself. You don't want to be made to feel better about yourself. If I go to a doctor, if I'm sick, I don't want him to make me feel better about myself. I want him to tell me what's wrong with me and how can I get better. But tell me nicely, all right? So, we're in Acts chapter 8, and this morning my message has a very simple theme. How do you have a baptism? How do you have a baptism? It's kind of like a recipe. Can you send me the recipe for a baptism? I would suggest that there's only a few ingredients, and they are as follows. In order to have a baptism, you have to have a willing worker. You have to have a searching soul. You have to have a conversation about Christ. And you have to have waiting water. And when I say waiting, you figure out whether I said waiting or waiting. <laughs> but we'll get there. So, it starts with a willing worker, Acts chapter 8, if you'll look with me. As you're, and I've been going through the book of Acts. I love the book of Acts. It's so exciting. I'm like, wow, God is, God is just rumbling and bumbling and going. I shouldn't say bumbling. He's, he's, I just took that from, you know, this the, Boomer on Monday Night Football. He might go all the way. I'll say that about Jesus. He will go all the way. He's going to bring his kingdom. So, as you're reading the book of Acts, Jesus grabs those disciples. He says, you just keep on praying until the Spirit of God's power falls on you. And when he does, boom, Peter preaches and 3,000 people get saved. But the church starts undergoing persecution and they begin to spread out. And in Acts chapter 6, they selected seven men who who were distributing food, and we, we tend to call them deacons, and then we say, deacons just handle the money or just handle the food. And I go, really? These bad boys could preach with power. Stephen preached with power to his own death. And Philip, well, we might say he's a deacon to handle the money. This guy was a preacher of the gospel. And so Philip began to preach the gospel, and he was ministering with great power in Samaria. When we begin in verse 25, it says, and so he solemnly testified, he spoke the word of the Lord. They started back to Jerusalem. They were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. But my first point, verse 25, 27, God uses willing workers. These are not, you don't have to be ordained. In fact, he wants you to be a willing worker. Doesn't need availability. I mean, doesn't need ability. Just willingness. God, I'm willing, okay? It says in verse 26, but an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Arise and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. 
This is a desert road. And he arose and went. So ask yourself, if the Lord spoke to your heart and said, go talk to, your, to that person, what would you do about that? Would you say, Lord, I'm not real good at this. I prefer to witness with my life. Philip didn't, didn't get the message, go and be a, a nice guy to him. He said, go down there. And one of the first things I want you to note is that willing workers have to be willing to use words. Mark that down. You're not a willing worker for the gospel if the only thing you're willing to do is be nice. You have to be willing to use your words. In fact, look at the rich words that are used in verse 25. He solemnly testified. That's that speech. He spoke the word. That speech. He preached the gospel. Willing workers must be willing to use words. Now, please help, well, let me help you to understand. God is not expecting you to just turn to the guy on the bus, get off the train and start going, sinners, you're going to hell, right? Most people come to Christ through friends or family members, through coworkers, through people they know, but they're not gonna come just because you're nice. And so you have to be willing to say, hey, could we have a conversation sometime? W would, would you be willing to, to talk about the Bible? What if they say no? They say, okay, maybe another time. And if you're not willing, then that's where the hard issue starts. And whatever your reason is, somebody told me this morning, they were talking to somebody who was unwilling to do something, they said, isn't that just pride? I mean, isn't, if I'm not willing to talk about Christ, why? Well, uh, what will they think of me? Well, I got news for you. That's pride. Because you need to get over what will they think of me and start asking what will they think of him. The Bible says all who desire to live godly will, will be persecuted. So if you want to follow Jesus and be his disciple, but you won't want to talk to anybody about Jesus, eh, can't happen. Paul said if I was still trying to please men, I wouldn't serve Christ. You just can't do it. Jesus said the world hated me. And then he didn't add a little caveat, but they won't hate you as long as you don't talk about me. He said they hated me, they're going to hate you. Now, it doesn't mean every time you try to talk to somebody, they're going to go, I hate you. We just have to be willing to know. So just ask God, Lord, I'm willing to use my words. And we, we've said this, we'll train you, we'll teach you how. You don't have to thump people or shove a track in their face, but be willing to use words. But also be willing to be sensitive to opportunities. Now, verse 26, and we talk about being sensitive, arise and go south to the road. That, that, that's pretty, pretty easy, right? But I do want you to notice in verse 26, it says, the Lord said, arise, or, or, or the, the newer translation says, get up, right? Verse 26, and then 27, and he rose. He got up, okay? So this morning, I'm inviting you to get up in your soul. Get up and be ready. Just start asking God to give you opportunities. This is what the Bible says in Colossians 4. Pray to God to give you opportunities. Get up and just pray. But I promise you, put your gospel belt on because if you're a willing worker and you're just willing to get up and say, God, if you lead me to somebody and you give me the words and you give me the courage, I'm willing, okay? So whatever you used to do, today God's calling all of us 
to be willing workers. Now, the joyful thing is, is God then, like a heavenly operator, remember years ago, the old operators, they had a switchboard with wires, you know, and the call comes in on this wire, and then they connect you with this wire. You see, God is the Holy Ghost operator. He's, he's, he's finding willing workers whom he's stirring up, and then he's calling, searching souls, and connecting them. So the second thing you need for a baptism is a searching soul. Look at verse 27. He arose. Now, can you, can you imagine, this would be like him saying, go under a railroad bridge in Kensington and just sit there. I can imagine Philip going, a desert road? Why would I sit in a desert road? It's hot. I can't even get a 7-up. A and the Lord says, just go down there. But when he got there, it says there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. That's what I call a searching soul. Now, as you begin to understand from the Bible, people do not search for God in the right way on their own. God always searches for his own first. Jesus said, no one comes to me unless God draws them. But he did put us down on this earth to grope around. And perhaps Acts 17 says that we might find him. But the Bible makes it very clear that no one seeks after God, but that God in his sovereign grace stirs the hearts of sinners and awakens them. Because I don't know what happened in this, this man's life to be down in Ethiopia worshiping as an Ethiopian, and somehow he must have met a Jew, and as he watched the Jews, he's gone, I like that religion. I don't exactly know why, but I think those monotheists who believe in this God named Jehovah, I want to look into that. And over time, he began to read, and he heard from the Jews, maybe he was attending a synagogue as a Gentile, he's a seeking soul. He's a searching soul, and so he reads in the Bible that you need to go up to Jerusalem to worship at Pentecost and worship at the Passover, and so he's obedient to God. He, 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 he takes his, uh, this is a, he had a BMW, right, Cherry? He, 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 was, he was in charge of all the money of the queen. This guy wasn't some homeless guy. He was very wealthy, and I can imagine how that conversation went because the queen of Ethiopia was not a Christian. Candace didn't go, oh, praise the Lord, right? And he goes, I'm going up to worship. I need two weeks off. She's like, what for? I'm going to worship. See, he had a religious interest. And I can tell you, folks, there are a lot of people around us who have a religious interest. Many of them go to church every week. Some of them, I, I know people that go every day. But, but the other thing that, that, that comprises a searching soul is not only do they have a religious interest, but ready for this, they're willing to read the Bible, right? You have a religious interest, but somebody needs to get them to start reading the Bible. Now, God's given us a jump start in the Muslim world because a Muslim would rather have their eyes poked out with a sharp molten rod than read the Bible until thousands of them are having dreams of Jesus. And when that dream's done, they want to find a Christian. They don't get saved through that dream, but they get drawn through that dream, and they get a hold of this holy book that's alive and powerful, that is the power of God to salvation, and no one can be saved apart from this book. The Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Don't let anybody tell you, 
oh, if a religious person, as long as they do their best, they're going to go to heaven. The Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. How can they be saved, the Bible says, if they don't believe? And how can they believe if they don't hear? And so pray for the dissemination of the gospel. But at the end of the day, they need to hear the word of God. And I would urge and implore every one of you, if you don't read this book, as Charles Spurgeon once said, across the dusty cover will be written, damned to all of you who wouldn't even read God's word to find out if it's true. How many people I've met who go, I don't believe that thing, and they don't even know why. If you're going to choose not to believe it, at least read it so you know why you don't believe it. So, here's a searching soul, and he's reading the Bible. And God is profoundly sovereign. Look at verse 27, and we'll read. It says, There's, can't, he's gone to worship, verse 28, and he was returning and sitting in his chariot and reading the prophet Isaiah. That's why I told you it was a, actually it was probably um, an electric car because he wasn't even driving, right? He just put it on automatic um, chariot and he's, re he's not driving, but he's sitting in there and he's reading from the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Now this chariot was, was cruising along at a clip. So Philip ran up alongside of him and he heard, now just picture Philip. He's like, what? Here comes a chariot by and a train. And God goes, go run, go, go, go talk to him. He starts running alongside. And, and here's the eunuch reading from the book of Isaiah. And Philip's, oh, oh, and he looks over and he sees the eunuch. And the eunuch looks over and goes, what? Huh? And he says to him, do you understand what you're reading? He's reading Isaiah chapter 53 of all things. He could have been reading Numbers chapter 1, right? And so-and-so begot so-and-so. He's reading a messianic prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've never read Isaiah 53, go home and don't let yourself rest until you read Isaiah 53 and then rejoice. He's reading a prophetic scripture about Jesus, and God still does this. I'll tell you a quick story. Years ago, somebody gave me tickets to a Yankee game. I said, George Van Loo and Ed Termina, and I can't remember who the fourth guy was. I said, let's go to the Yankees game. And so we're, we're on the train, and you got to take buses and trains, and we're, we're packed on this bus on the way to the Yankees game. And, and we're holding on to the rails and standing up, and there's a lady right here facing me, and she's reading the Jewish scriptures. She's reading them in Hebrew. And so I said, oh, is that Hebrew? And she said, yes, it is. I said, well... I had two years of Hebrew. I'm not real good at it, but give it a whirl. And she says, well, I'm reading Psalm 22. And I went, thank you, God. <laughs> because Psalm 22, 1 says, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? A messianic prophecy of Christ when he hung on the cross, right? And I said, well, read me the first verse. You know, I'll try my Hebrew. Shema, yaha, kakaya. I go, that's my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? I said, you want to know something cool? We believe that's a prophecy about the Messiah. When suddenly the bus stops, and you're wondering if she said, look, here's the Hudson River. Why can't I be baptized? She didn't. She got off the bus. And you know what my sorry friend said? Why don't you get off and keep witnessing to her? I go, yeah, right. How am I going to get to the baseball game? What's more important, Tom, a soul? I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> they did. That's shameful, isn't it? 
I think God had somebody else waiting to take her to the next level. But he still does this. And so he's reading, verse 32, the passage of the scripture that he was reading. Well, I'm sorry, verse 31. He says, how can I understand it unless someone guides me? See, a searching soul has a religious interest and they're willing to, to read the Bible. Okay, so I need a willing worker, searching soul. The third thing you need is a conversation about Christ. Okay, this, this, I love this. So, so Philip hears him reading, he goes, so what do you think about that passage? He goes, I don't know, what do you think? He goes, well, who's he talking about there? And the Ethiopian eunuch goes, I don't know, you tell me who he's talking about. Look at this passage. He was led as a sheep to slaughter and as a lamb silent before his shears is silent, so he doesn't open his mouth. And this is that great prophecy of when Pilate got in the face of Jesus and trying to frighten him. Do you not know I could kill you? How dare you be silent? And Jesus just stares at him. And that's the fulfillment. As a lamb before his shears is silent, so he doesn't open his mouth. And in humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who shall relate his generation from his life is removed from the earth? And the eunuch answered Philip and said, please tell me of who does this prophet say this of himself or someone else? Are you ready for this? Underline this one. And Philip opened his mouth and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Let me give you a quote from Charles Spurgeon. He said, you ought to be able to open anywhere in the Bible and beginning with that scripture, preach Jesus. You're like, give me an illustration. I said, I'll give you an easy illustration. Have you ever noticed those TV preachers? Doesn't matter what passage they are. They make a beeline to your wallet. Do that, but don't make a beeline for money. Make a beeline for Jesus. Well, what would that look like? Well, what if somebody says, well, I kind of like the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I go, I like that too. And did you know that that's talking about Jesus? Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. He said, I'm the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I'll take my life up. Did you know that's pointing to Jesus? So this whole book is designed to point to Jesus. Jesus said, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. They point to me. Every verse, every peg, every pen, the ten, peg in the tabernacle doesn't say Jesus on it. But no matter what you're talking about, God, sin, man, talk about Christ. And so I don't even have to wonder. I'll tell you what he told him about Jesus. He explained the gospel to him. He had a conversation that explains the gospel. When it says he preached Jesus, he didn't say, Jesus, Jesus. He said, well, let me tell you, there's a God who created us. You're on track there, the God of the Bible. But when Adam and Eve sinned, they fell, and they're cursed, and they're condemned. And that this, listen, like your soul depends on it. You're cursed and condemned. And you don't have to do a single thing to make a beeline straight to hell. Just live your life and die, and you're going to go to hell. That's what the Bible teaches. Unless you hear the message of Christ. And the message of Christ is that God, in his love, planned and prepared the people of God through the Jews to send Jesus Christ, who would be the Messiah, who would be the son of David, born of a virgin, both divine and human, Jesus Christ, the son of God, lives a perfect, sinless life. And at the age of 33, not because he was a misled prophet ahead of his times, but because he was a determined savior to come and save sinners, they put him on that cross and they nailed him there. And he didn't resist for one minute because he said, I, I'm going to redeem and ransom. 
and, and, and bring people to myself. And so as Jesus hung on that cross, Philip explained to him, that was so that you could be saved. He shed his blood for the forgiveness of your sins. He didn't say, Philip, you got to go to church, be a good person, do this, that, and that. He preached Jesus to him, the full gospel, Christ crucified. It is finished. No purgatory, no penance. We won't add a thing to the cross. Just Jesus paid it all. And if you ever want to set foot in heaven, that's the only way, is through Jesus Christ and his crucifixion on the cross for your sins. So the first thing he did is he explained the gospel. So he's a, he has a conversation about Christ, but you're not having a conversation if the only thing you do is give information. Because the second thing he did is he gave him an invitation. And please understand that the gospel is not just information to be acquired in your skull. It is a summons from God to which you and I must respond. What are you going to do about it? Because the devil knows that Christ died on the cross. But the devil's not going to heaven. So notice that Philip, in this conversation, he explained to him that you need to repent. You need to be willing to turn from whatever is keeping you from God, whether it's your sin or your pride or your religiousness. You need to be willing to turn and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And he explained to him, and if you're going to become a believer, then you get baptized, not to get you into heaven, but that's where you stand in front of others. And the Bible says you confess with your mouth. Jesus doesn't accept undercover agents. He said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. And so he calls, Philip calls him and says, listen, if you want to be a Christian, you must respond with repentance and faith and show that by getting baptized. And so, look what happens. It says here in verse 37, Philip, or verse 36, he said, well, look, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? Now, if you have the NIV, you don't have verse 37. If you have the New American Standard, it's in italics. And the reason for that is some of the Greek manuscripts don't have it. But here's what it says in some of the Greek manuscripts. He, gives, he says, can I get baptized? And he says, yes. If you believe with all your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And let me emphasize, believing is not intellectual assent. It's a heart, willing, volitional decision to cast myself upon Christ. And to say, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I want to follow Christ and I am clinging to the cross. I trust Jesus alone. And you're not going to do it secretly. You believe with all your heart. Somebody once said the difference between heaven and hell is only about 18 inches. Because you can believe in your head like you believe in George Washington. Or you can believe in your heart where you're willingly trusting and ready to follow Jesus. And so, we've got most of the ingredients. A willing worker, a searching soul, a conversation about Christ. All we need then is some waiting water. He says, look, there's some water. Now, without getting into detail, I want to start by suggesting that I believe that the biblical way to get baptized is to be dunked under water, not to be sprinkled. I'm not trying to insult you or disagree, but the word baptized means to dip. It does not mean to sprinkle. And in fact, there's a different word in the Bible for sprinkle, and it's used in the Bible. And there's a reason why I believe God wants us to be dipped under the water, because it's symbolic of two things. Number one, water symbolizes that your sins were washed away. 
But number two, when you go under the water, the Bible says you're buried in baptism. In other words, you're saying bye-bye to your old life. Yesterday there was, a, there was a funeral here, but today there's another funeral here. But this is a happy funeral. And if you've never been to your happy funeral, you better get there where you gladly say goodbye to your old life. Because if you don't want to say goodbye to your old life and you're like Lot's wife going, I don't want to give up the world, well, you know how that's going to end. And Jesus says, what good is it if you gain the whole world and you lose your soul? So it symbolizes that I have died to my old life. And now the Bible says we're raised to walk in newness of life. Hallelujah, we just witnessed a resurrection from the dead. And every one of us who's a Christian, Martin Luther used to say, remember your baptism. So as I close this morning, I want to press home a couple thoughts. You say, okay, sheesh, we should do this again. In fact, interestingly, I had a lady say to me this morning, I wish I was getting in up there, and she's waiting till next time. One time I preached the gospel, we got done a baptism, somebody came up and said, can you do me now? And I said, well, easy now. And the only reason we don't is because too many people jump in here without knowing what they're doing. And two weeks later, they're back in the world, and they have no idea what happened. Or like Dom, they go, I don't even remember it. So we hold a class to make sure you know what you're doing and why you're doing it. But I would hope that some of you are going, warm up the water for me, because I'm ready to get in next time. So how shall we respond? Number one, notice, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. And I don't know what that was like. That must have been crazy. He was here one minute, and it would be like, Right now, you wake up and you're in Newtown. What just happened? The eunuch saw him no more, but look what it says. He went on his way rejoicing. So the first thing we should do is we're going to walk out of here in about 30 seconds. We should go rejoicing. Don't set your timer right now. Don't go, I'm holding you to it. <laughs> we should walk out of here rejoicing what we just saw. That's what the shepherds did. That's what the, the early church, you read the book of Acts, and they rejoiced. And they took their, their bread together, and the Lord was adding to the church those who were being saved day by day. So this is a day of rejoicing. Somebody say, amen. Praise you, Jesus. You're still saving souls. So we go on our way rejoicing. Is there anything else we could do? Well, we certainly could go on our way intentional, saying, Lord, let this continue. Let this multiply. Let this Pool never be the Dead Sea. And the only way that's going to happen is not by might nor by power, but by God's Holy Spirit. And you know how he moves through prayer. When God's people pray and cry out to God, and when there's a church full of people saying, count me in, Lord, because a church is never built on one preacher or two preachers or three preachers. We're all preachers. We're all preachers. We're all ministers. And I urge you to believe God that he doesn't need you to be a seminary, cairn-trained Christian to bring someone to Christ. Just be a willing worker and ask God to lead you to seeking souls and stumble your way through it. And if you have questions, we'll help you the best we can. But God's on the move. Amen? Jesus is coming again. And I'd like you to close with me. Number one, rejoicing. But number two, I'm going to give an invitation. So would you bow with me in prayer? Father God, we praise the Lord. This was fun. It's a blessing to see people saved and baptized. It's a blessing to, to, to witness a baptism. 
And we give God all the glory. This is nothing about man. This is about Jesus. This is about the spirit. This is about those whom you predestined, you called. Oh, God, the Bible says, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. Call thousands to yourself, Lord, even here and all over the world. Call them, Lord. Bring them. Bring them streaming. Bring revival. But it will only come, Lord, as your sovereign grace chooses it and as your people pray for it. Forgive us for our lethargy. Awaken us to what really matters in life. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.